when people ask why do we have a housing crisis, I say I'll, I'll give you three numbers. One is that in the last 15 years that the price of an East Vancouver condo has gone up 320 percent. The rents in the in the same time have gone up 80 percent, and incomes have gone up 17 percent. I'm John Lewis, and you're listening to 360 Degree City, a podcast where we talk to people who are working to make cities better. Our hope is that after each episode, you'll start to see your own city from a slightly different angle. As I'm recording this, we're in the home stretch of the federal election here in Canada. During the campaign, most leaders have discussed the issue of affordability. Our priorities are the people behind me, the families that need affordable housing. People should be focused on spending time with their baby, not worrying about how they'll pay their bills. Because I have a plan to put more money in your pockets so you can get ahead. We want to also reduce the cost of living. We need to pay attention to the cost of housing. Affordability is the number two issue overall for all voters. And whatever your political stripe and whoever wins the election, housing affordability is an issue that faces families across Canada and indeed around the world. And of course, politicians play a role in affecting housing affordability. But another key player that impacts the cost of housing is the development industry. It's a profit-driven industry, which means that developers aren't always motivated to make housing affordable. But today, I wanted to talk to someone who works in the nonprofit development sector. I'm Robert Brown. I'm president of Catalyst Community Development Society. Uh, we're a nonprofit society that uh, develops, owns, and operates uh, below market rental housing and affordable community spaces. In this episode, Robert and I talk about what it means and how it works to be a nonprofit real estate developer how Catalyst defines affordable housing, advice Robert has for community organizations considering redevelopment, and the potential future of nonprofit real estate development. So let's dive in. Maybe you could explain uh, to folks uh, what it means, how does it work, what it's like uh, to be a nonprofit real estate developer versus uh, what people might understand of uh, you know the typical for-profit development. Yeah, for sure. It's um, we actually call ourselves a nonprofit real estate developer intentionally, so that we can spark a conversation like this. Like, Perfect. <laughs> what do you mean? That doesn't make sense. It's an oxymoron. Yeah. So um, we do it deliberately, and and I would sum it up by saying that we really do uh, pretty much what any real estate developer does. But the difference is, is our objectives, right? Um, generally speaking, the objective of a market developer is to maximize profit. And the objective of Catalyst as a nonprofit developer is to maximize benefit to the community. So that, so if you, if you think about what a developer does, we do the same thing. We go and find land, we design buildings, we build buildings, we own and operate them. But we do it through the lens of how can we maximize the amount of benefit that we deliver to the community, whether that's in the form of housing and, and if it's housing, how affordable can we make that housing rather than how much can we sell this housing for? And community spaces, it's the same thing. It's, it's how do we make those spaces as sustainable and as affordable as possible. Hmm. Okay. And so um, if 
could could you maybe walk through uh, a few examples of of projects that that reflect uh, that community benefit? Perhaps um, you know maybe maybe an example that touches more on the affordability side, and if there's a, a project that touches more where you're really proud of the community space, the community benefit side of things. Sure. Um, yeah, I mean we've got lots of examples. I mean that we're we currently have ten projects that we have under development right now and they really have quite a range of projects. We've we've done projects that are as small as like six rental homes up to about 145 rental homes, a project we're currently building on Main Street in Vancouver. Um, so um, a couple of examples would be for example that Main Street one where we are um, we're building, we, we leased the land from the city of Vancouver. We're building, we, we move ahead and we're responsible for building and owning and operating the building. We go and get a mortgage, we get investors, we, uh, and we own and operate the building. Um, and we'll, we'll have, have rents in that building anywhere from probably 10 to about 50% below market. Wow. So, um, we have another building in Victoria that we finished about two years ago, which was um, we have homes that we rent for under seven hundred dollars a month um, up to. So and we really try and serve uh, uh, the 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 community that we're in based on what the incomes of the people are in that community. Hmm. So in Victoria, we're we're trying to serve people and give them affordable rents based on on incomes that range from this is gross household income between twenty five thousand and sixty five thousand a year. So as a frame of reference, somebody who's working full time on minimum wage is earning about twenty six to twenty eight thousand dollars a year. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So okay. it's, we're trying to create a wide range of incomes that we're that we're providing housing for. Right. Okay. And, and so, if 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 I could dive in a little bit to um, uh, the how you achieve that, I guess the, there's the element of of um, being a nonprofit organization. Then you you shave off um, you know a certain percentage of, uh, of of a project that would go to profit. What what are what are the differences from your investor pool? To the trades that you work with, what's the what's the difference to make that that work to achieve those uh, incredible uh, benefits for for what the the people living there realize? In order to deliver the affordability, we're trying to do two things. One is one is reduce the cost of our project, right? Because the small the the more afford the the less the cost of the project, the less the mortgages that we have to carry, and therefore lower the rents that we can charge. If all we're doing is really trying to cover the cost of our mortgage and our operating costs. So that's the first thing. And then secondly is is reducing the cost of our mortgage. So if we can go and get preferential mortgage terms from people who, lenders who want to promote the delivery of affordable housing, whether that's Van City, CMHC, BC Housing, we'll, that's where we'll go for that money. So on the, on the cost side, really what we do is – First of all, start with probably the biggest cost, and that's land. Yeah. Right. We we can't afford to go out and buy market at land and then build below market rental housing. So this is where our partnerships with a variety of people come in. One is with nonprofits, including churches, 
who have land and they want to redevelop it, but they, they don't need to get, you know, full market value for that land, then they'll invest it into the project. Uh, we, as I mentioned on Main Street, we're working with a municipality. We have three projects right now where there's land is leased at basically very, very low cost from a, from a municipality. Um, so we, we, we take that land cost or a good chunk of that land cost out of the, the equation. Right. So then the second piece we do, we really, we don't, we haven't been able to find a way to find people to build our buildings more cheaply. Like we, <laughs> we pay, we pay, we, we are hiring market builders yeah, and we pay them well. Now they're they're amazing builders, and they they definitely work very closely with us. They understand what we're trying to do, and we build as much efficiency into it as we can. But we we don't look for major cost savings there. Um, but then the second part is is things like what what I, the development community would call soft costs. So those are things like fees and consultants and all of that. We we go municipalities often support affordable housing by reducing the the fees that we have to pay so okay. that yep. just comes straight off the cost and then um and then we just all the way through we're trying to find ways to still build a building that is beautiful and great to live in and but is is more cost effective to build and more cost effective to run and that's the last piece because we are going to own these buildings for a very long time uh we're we're very interested in investing in the buildings to deliver savings over time so we 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 build buildings that are more sustainable that use less energy less water because that means it's going to be more affordable to run those buildings over the long term Mm-hmm. And so I, that, that, that's a, I mean, they're all important points, but that's a particularly um, <clears throat> important point, I imagine, in terms of um, the, the typical perspective on a developer is, you know, in and out and whatever the time frame, depending on the scale of the project, 18 months, 24 months, and then they just, they just go away, but you never go away. So then your time frame on all things, including quality, including cost, including sustainability, it really does shift your, your perspective on a project pretty substantially. It does. And, and it's, I mean, there are some, some developers that are building rental housing to hold onto and they, they, take a similar approach because living with the results long-term and, but the, the really neat intersection of this is when you can start tying, you know, um, sustainability and green building features in with lower operating costs that in turn over time enable you to deliver more affordability. Like it's a, it's a perfect segue and an intersection of, of, of how these things can work together and if you take a, a long-term owner's perspective. Well, you, you mentioned affordable housing a, a few times. And, and so uh, in a lot of our projects that touch on affordable housing, uh, it seems like we can lose weeks, months, years off of our own lives talking about what's the definition of affordable housing for, <laughs> yeah. for, for, for Catalyst. Uh, how do you define uh, affordability and affordable housing? 
Yeah, it's a great question because there is, to be frank, a lot, a lot of confusion. And I think um, people, um, <coughs> various groups have used the word affordable and, and it doesn't, it's not what other people think of affordable. Mm -hmm. So it, it does confuse the landscape and the conversation. Um, for us, as I was saying earlier, this, the, the, the critical part for us is that we want to have our rents affordable based on what people are earning and as incomes, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. It's got to be connected to income because what we've seen in the real estate market and it, when people ask, why do we have a housing crisis? I say, I'll, I'll give you three numbers. One is that in the last 15 years that the price of an East Vancouver condo has gone up 320%. The rents in the, in the same time have gone up 80%. And incomes have gone up seventeen <laughs> percent. Right wow. there, that, that we have basically we have a real estate market that is discon There's a disconnect between rent and and purchase price and people's incomes. And so mm -hmm. we we constantly bring it back to that and say, what are people earning in the community that we're doing a project in? And then, and that can be quite a range. So we have, do have quite a range. I say in, in our Victoria project, typically our, we are aiming for households. This is household income. So it could be two earners, but it, you know, one or two earners. And, and it's, um, that range in Victoria project is 25,000 to $65,000 a year. Now, so, and just again, as a, a kind of frame of reference, if I'm earning $40,000 a year based on 30% of my income, no more than 30% of my income on rent, I would pay $1,000 a month in rent, mm -hmm. right? So mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's manageable, right? right. Um, and then at the same time, we know that there are people in our community that aren't working or, or have a disability or, or basically have, have limited earning capacity. That's not our focus because we're not a, a service provider. Like we don't provide support services, but we but we work with other nonprofits that do. So, in a project that we're doing in Port Moody, we have we have about ten percent of the homes will be going to to and rented to people who are on a disability allowance, which is believe it or not, is three seventy five a month. Oh wow! The rent that we're charging for those units, hmm. and and so we have a very wide range. Whereas in Vancouver, a, a portion of some of our homes in in some of our projects can be you know ten percent below market. That you know ten percent below market for a three bedroom home in a great location in Vancouver can be you know three thousand dollars a month. Right. So, so there's quite a range, but it's, it, we really try and pay attention to what is the income in the neighborhood in which we're building. Right. Right. Okay. And so how early in the process do you, uh, do you do that research engagement, um, insights development, um, in, in, in a project? Yeah. Like before, like, yeah. like at the, at the earliest stage, I would imagine if you have to consider, um, the rents down the line as relative to the neighborhood. Yeah. Hey? If we're and uh, yes, it's got to be we've got to figure out because the project has to be financially sustainable, but wow. also that's our mission is is to deliver affordable housing. So mm -hmm. try and and we build that mission piece into the project right at the beginning, 
and say, if we're about providing benefit to the community, then it has to be based on what does the community need. Right, right. Uh, I do say we can be all things to all people, and we're not going to, I mean, there's some, there's some, we can't build a building that where all the homes are rented at 375 a month. We do, it just, the math doesn't work. Yeah. That's not where, you know, that's not where our focus is. But we do know that there's a broad range of incomes in any community and we try and, and cater to that. Yeah. Right. And so as you're sussing out where the next project is going to be, how do you determine that? Is it um, relationship based that, you know, a particular uh, church organization has some land or they come to you or how does that process work to go find those, those great partners? It comes through a variety of, of ways. Um, I mean, we don't necessarily go out and, and knock on church doors or not, <laughs> doors, but, but they, so they do generally come to us or we have responded to RFPs from municipalities. RFP stands for Request for Proposals. Uh, a lot of word of mouth now in the in the nonprofit community or church community, um, people hear about what we do and they email us or call us or or we get a you know one Lutheran church is talking to another Lutheran church and it so it's it's a variety of ways. Um, mm-hmm. We do. We're, I mean, our projects currently stretch from geographically from Victoria to Penticton. Um, okay haven't done anything like in northern BC or in other provinces and I don't think that's going to be our focus at least not for the next little while mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, you know and unfortunately the problem is that affordable housing is needed in every community for sure we are doing a project in Tofino or two projects actually in Tofino which is a very different dynamic as far as affordable housing goes yeah of the influence of a you know a second home market and a resort type environment. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And and so as you're um, you know with with the variety of uh, organizations that you've partnered with over the years, we we were lucky enough to be involved with a, <clears throat> a project here in Calgary where um, a group of the the leaders at a local um, legion branch um, they they were having you know issues that a lot of these social organizations have, particularly legions about aging membership buildings that are in rough shape, and so they got creative and they partnered with a developer to essentially have the newest legion in Canada, I think pretty easily the nicest legion in Canada and the balance of the land, the, the developer was then able to, to use as a redevelopment site. Um, so it was interesting to be on the inside of that process somewhat to see, um, the foresight and the creativity that folks have to, um, you know, have in, in leadership. And so if, if you could, um, give advice to folks that are involved in these kinds of organizations that you typically partner with, what kind of advice would you give them in terms of, um, thinking about redevelopment potential of, of their spaces? Yeah. Great, great question. I mean, um, so we, we come from this from a slightly different perspective than, um, when we get approached, so often people want to go, okay, what can I build on my site and what will the city let me do and what can we get funding for and, and all of that. And we kind of hold, you know, hold up a timeout sign and yeah. say, what we really want to do first is let's have a conversation about who you are as an organization. 
and why you exist. Mm -hmm. And that basically is a conversation about their mission, right? right? And, and then we say, what are your priorities as an organization? Not your priorities from a real estate perspective, but from, from an organization, i.e. what, if you're going to do something, what is that thing that will do, move your mission forward? And then, so with those priorities, we, and it, it can be a, a process, but it, we can get through it fairly quickly. And then we say, okay, if those are your priorities as an organization. Now and only now, let's look at your real estate and say, how can we meet, how can we use your real estate to help deliver those priorities? Because mm -hmm. by default, if you deliver those priorities, you will move your mission forward. And this is the problem that we've seen some groups get involved with a real estate project purely from a real estate project perspective. Right, right. And our what we've learned over the years is that, that if it doesn't, for organizations that are mission-driven, if you do not have your mission being moved forward by your project, it's gonna, it can, has the potential to hit some pretty serious snags. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so those are the, that's the area that we focus on first is what's your mission? Why do you exist? What's your priorities? And then how can we use your real estate to deliver those priorities? Knowing that we have to absolutely figure out the financials and, and create a financially sustainable model. Um, and then the next, the other thing that we look at is is capacity of the organization. Like what what do they have at their you know at the board level and staff and financial resources? And just not to say that they need to be the developer, but they need to just be aware of what their capacity is and what it isn't. For sure. And try and fill those gaps. And then the last part, and this is a particular bias that we have. But uh, and because part of our mission as a as catalyst is to help the nonprofit sector flourish, and we think that one great way for the nonprofit sector to flourish is to hold on to their real estate. Mm -hmm. So in the situation, you know, the example that you gave, where a legion gets a new legion, but they sell off all the rest of their land, it's it's a short it's a solution for today. But they can only do it once. Yep. And so 50 years down the road, if they need a new legion or, you know, it, it, they can't do it. They're, they're all out of real estate, right? Mm -hmm. So that's just something that we invite nonprofits to look at and go, is there a way that either you or at least another nonprofit or a community-based organization can hold on to your real estate? And particularly if you can hold on to it and have it generate a revenue stream for you mm -hmm. rather than that short, that one time big hit, like that big check that you get for your land or so it's, it's a big complicated, you know, look at options, but we have to look at all the options. And we, we've seen that that groups can hold on to at least the majority of their asset. They're better off in the long term. Yeah, for sure. And that's, and that's one thing that was, uh, interesting about this Legion example is they, um, they retained, uh, ownership of a portion of the land and the, the, the building itself has, uh, a restaurant below and two yeah. layers of office above for a kid, sort of a, a new, new revenue stream. But that's, you know, but besides, besides the, the history 
and the people uh, inside these organizations, oftentimes because of their their you know historical nature, uh, the the land is is their biggest asset yeah. uh, that they have. So to see it, you know, like the bank the bank accounts dwindling, and so let's get that big check. But then you move to a suburban strip mall where your members aren't they don't exist right. anymore. And then you just, you're just running out the clock. So, um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's a requires a different, different frame to address new challenges for these folks that yeah, aren't necessarily saying, equipped for it. We just say, look at all your options and we'll mm-hmm. help you look at all your options. I mean, there have been cases where we look at the option and really, whether it's because the group is kind of run out of, runway or they they're just their need for capital is so high the only solution is a sale and so we're not saying it will never happen but um you know it, it look at we just invite them to look at all the different options and think a little bit more long term yeah right? for sure and it, it's a if if that is whatever the decision is it's a much more considered decision than right we're running out of money, we can sell this and get some. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it, it, I've seen some groups sell assets, uh, just, you know, a tragic loss of assets to the yeah. community and to their organization. For sure, for sure. Uh, and they, they're kicking themselves, right? Yeah. And and I think in, in the process that you take them through, it's it, that sounds really um interesting and thoughtful and and i think reflective of you you couldn't go through that process to really dig deeply about the mission of an organization uh if you didn't have a clear sense yourselves uh as catalysts yeah. so that's that's really interesting reflection of that yeah and it's quite interesting we have these conversations and they okay let's talk about mission and then about five minutes in where somebody goes yeah but you know we could build a high rise here and i <laughs> And we go, yes, good. That's an option, and we're going to look at that down the road. But right now, we're talking about how you're going to use your real estate to further your mission. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's, it's real estate a, in service instead yeah. of the headliner. Yeah, they're they're great. Yeah, exactly. They're it's real estate is to be of service here, and yeah. and it can it can be a phenomenal tool to use, but don't have it drive the bus. That's yeah. what we're saying. Right? Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, so as you think about the future of real estate development, whether it's, you know, from Vancouver to Penticton or and or beyond, uh, what do you what do you see as a future evolution of the world of real estate development and where it needs to go? Yeah, I, I think that that's a really <laughs> Just a small question. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no problem. No, I think. In the short term, interestingly, what we're seeing across many communities is that the existing housing stock, the non-profit housing stock that we have, is is due for renewal. And if you look at some of those sites, I mean, there's groups in Metro Vancouver that own land that currently accommodates like 3,500 homes, and it could probably accommodate four times that amount. Mm, So you have these amazing individual opportunities or portfolios of properties that could be put to to good use to provide housing for people and and community spaces. And then, so that's kind of the, I think that's the the next piece that we, where there's a huge opportunity and an opportunity to do it right, i.e. the the projects are led with community benefit at at its core, Mm -hmm. right? And then the second piece, again, comes back to really what we're 
we're trying to do, I think, and that is is use like kind of the nonprofit uh, model to to do things that we've traditionally just seen the market developers do. Like we've seen large projects and. And everyone kind of sits back and go, well, there's only, if we want to develop this really large piece of property, there's really only one group that can do it, and that's market developers. Hmm. I think what we're proving and others in our sector are proving is that we, there's an opportunity to have other players with a nonprofit community oriented lens come and do those developments. So the capacity in the sector is growing. And there's amazing, amazing nonprofits in the sector who are, are great operators. They're very smart. They can they understand real estate. They understand finance. And I think we're seeing more and more of it um, as that sector becomes more capable and more and gets more exposure. Hmm. Um, and then the interesting thing for me, if I'm really going to dream, I go, why, why don't we adopt, adopt that nonprofit model for a whole bunch of other players in the real estate sector and then even beyond the real estate sector? Like I go, why wouldn't we have a nonprofit architectural firm that mm-hmm. we use them all day long, right? Yeah, yeah. And a nonprofit builder. Like there's no there's no reason why those entities could not be set up as nonprofits. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And and then you look at, at other things. I think the real super interesting one for us and I met a group a large housing group in, in California and and the the president told me, Yes, we have our own financial institution. <laughs> like, that's pretty cool. Wow. Like, they're on their own bank, basically. And, and so if you think about that, like if you could run a bank, I mean, that's really what credit unions do yeah. is, is put the money back into the, to the community. But if you could run it as a purely as a nonprofit, then you could do some pretty amazing real estate things and other things with that. Mm-hmm. So that's the, that's the dream. Yeah, very interesting. And, and it's one of those things that, you know, as as you're walking through some of these examples and ideas, it's um, uh, like with any industry, any sector, there's so many uh, long, long held beliefs or assumptions about this is the way it is, the way it should be, the way it always has been uh, yeah. to, to kind of ask uh, why not on a, on a number of fronts and, and it, with the possibilities that can open up. And the examples are out there, but just in different countries. Like, again, that group, you go to the U.S., which is interesting because they changed their entire way of delivering affordable housing um, in the 90s. And believe it or not, it was Ronald Reagan that did it because he said, we're not providing any more private or public funding for housing or very little. And so the entire system changed and it was set up on a tax credit system. So you have very, now you have very sizable non-profit developers who who can generate these tax credits that are then purchased by banks and insurance companies and 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 because they get a tax credit for them hmm. so it's a it's a very different model but it, it what is if you look at the states there are there are billion dollar non-profit real estate developers in the states oh interesting and, then, and wow. we met with a group from vienna believe it or not who um after the Second World War, they said, we're going to need, you know, 
tens, if not hundreds of thousands of housing units right. to rebuild our country. And it, but rather than do it through the market, they did it. They set up nonprofit real estate developers. And we met with a group of them, and, and it was funny that we're talking to the bankers, and they're saying, but how do they secure loans like you're a nonprofit? And, and they're kind of looking blankly at them and saying, <laughs> well, we have $2 billion of assets on our balance sheet. That's how we secure it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the banker almost fell off his seat. Yeah. So it's, they're out, the examples are out there, and there's no reason why we can't build that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Oh, that's, that's really, yeah. Um, you've got, uh, you're going to send me on a, a whole website chase now. Thanks a lot. It's <laughs> good. <laughs> good. Exciting. Um, uh, one thing I just, but uh, to kind of bring it a little bit full circle, uh, from you starting, uh, catalyst in 2013, we didn't really dig into what, what was it that motivated you individually, uh, to, to start down this, this path? Um, yeah, I mean, I guess, as I say, I've been involved with real estate mm-hmm. for a long time, and I, I, I do, I love real estate, and I love what it can do, and, and at the same time, really right from my days of, of um, growing up in Glasgow, um, I, I was always very aware of, of social issues and social injustice, and I always volunteered for nonprofits and and did the same thing when I came to Canada. And and I in the early two thousands or kind of mid two thousands I started working with nonprofits just on a on a consulting basis and saying how can you use your they were wanting to know how they could use their real estate. But then as we as I did that work, I realized there was a there was a missing player, so to speak, is that a lot of groups they didn't they didn't just need a consultant because that meant that they were still the developer. What they needed was a partner, but the only partner that was available to them were with, you know, partners with real estate experience and money and expertise and operating capacity. The only partner was market developers. And again, not to say there's that, that that's wrong, but, but it, there's some downsides to that model as we were just talking about. Yeah. So really, in working, we were actually working with Van City on this issue, and we came up with the idea of a, a development partner for community-based organizations. And it became very clear quite quickly that that, that entity needed to be a non-profit hmm. Um, hmm. so that it could partner non-profit to non-profit as opposed to for-profit and non-profit. Gotcha. Okay. So, so more level playing field, and there's a whole greater level of trust in yep. the partnership, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So that's really yeah. how it came about. We just came up with the idea, and then we see, if, give it a shot, see if it would work. So yeah. Amazing. Yeah. That's uh it's, it's one of those things when you hear the, uh, when you hear the story retroactively, it's, uh, it, you know, you can see how things line up, but I imagine, uh, as it's evolving, it's, uh, you, you didn't necessarily expect, you know, a number of years ago to be running this kind of organization perhaps. So no. <laughs> that's the way it goes. Hey? <laughs> Yeah, that's the fun ride. Yeah, that's right. Uh, okay, so we uh, just have one more question for you uh, that we ask yeah. all all the guests. If uh, you can share a city that you love and why it is that you love it. Oh, um, I think I'm going to have to go with Glasgow. All right. 
Um, hometown. Yeah, hometown <laughs> where I grew up. Uh, moved here when I was 26, so I spent most of those 26 years in Glasgow. And it, it's an amazing city because it has a huge history. I, I, I still remember when I was, I think it was like grade seven, and we all got assembled in the assembly hall, and we all got given a coffee mug. And we were like, what's this? <laughs> it was Glasgow 800. Oh and it was gosh. the 800th birthday of Glasgow, the city of Glasgow. And so when you talk about kind of resilient communities and, and history, uh, Glasgow is amazing. And, and that, that there's something that is imbued in the city because of that history. Hmm. Um, it's resilient, it's tough, it's a tough city, and it's been through a lot. And, uh, but it, it has a... It, it, it has a character that accepts that diversity, right? Mm. I mean, a huge, there's been huge industry, there's been huge poverty, there's, but there's an amazing creative community, an amazing business community, a non-profit community. Um, so that, the interaction of all that, and, and also at the end of the day, there are some of the funniest people I've ever met. And so, <laughs> so that always helps. So. You can laugh at yourself and laugh at your 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 trials and tribulations. So ah. that helps. Okay, terrific. Yeah, eight yeah. eight eight hundred years. It's as a born and raised Western Canadian, my parents. <laughs> when I think about <laughs> that, really confused. Does it? No. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And we've been uh, in in the office. We've been talking about um, interesting uh, denonyms. So that's the word for the name that you call someone from somewhere. Oh, and yeah. we were actually saying recently how Glasgow has one of the one of the great denonyms, a Glaswegian. Is that right? That's Am right. I pronouncing that right? That's right. And and now it, even in recent years, it's been shortened to if you're from Glasgow, you're a Ouija. <laughs> even better. <laughs> even better. Exactly. You know, I want to be called a Ouija. <laughs> that's right. Ah, that's uh, that's good. I think I actually think we might do a. Uh, uh, a mini episode or integrate denonyms from around. So we may, uh, we may call on you again to just uh, tell the story of the Ouija's again. <laughs> and my other favorite, the liver Putlians. Oh yeah. That's a good one. Yeah, that's a good, good one. one. Yeah. All right. Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, uh, thanks so much for uh, taking the time to chat with us today. All right. Great to chat. I was fascinated to learn about how Catalyst is doing development differently. So often, developers are cast as the bad guys, trying to squeeze every penny out of a piece of land. And Catalyst's mission-driven model shows that development doesn't always have to be profit-driven, and it can provide a lot of community benefit in a lot of different ways. I'm excited to see how Catalyst continues to build the capacity of the non-profit housing sector in British Columbia. We're starting to collect denonyms from around the world. A denonym is a word used for the people that come from a particular place. So if you know of a good denonym, please let us know. As I said in the chat with Robert, we plan to make a mini episode of some of our favorite denonyms. So grab your smartphone and record a short message with your name, where you're from, and what the denonym is for your city. You can email that file to hello at 360degree.city and we'll compile these for future episodes. 360 Degree City is created by our team at Intelligent Futures. 
To learn more about the work we do, go to intelligentfutures.ca. I'm John Lewis. Thanks for stopping by.